You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab those and be turning to the Gospel of Matthew this evening. Matthew chapter 5 specifically is where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to be starting tonight what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Get ready to be in it for a little while, not as long as some guys. Some guys take upwards of a year to over a year to go through the Sermon on the Mount, and that's good for them. I'm just not that guy. So, you know, we're going to spend a good chunk of time. We want to make sure we go through it adequately because there are so, so many amazing things that we see within the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so I want to make sure that we don't miss those. So if you are taking notes tonight, the title for tonight's study is simply The Sermon on the Mount. Part one, so you can write that out. Um, but if you would like a sub a subtitle for that, um, you could call it the Kingdom Mindset, the Kingdom Mindset, and uh, we'll we'll talk about what that looks like as we get into Jesus actually teaching um, there as he is on the mounts. But before we get into the text, it does us well to remind ourselves why we study the book of Matthew, what the book of Matthew is all about, who wrote the gospel of Matthew. Well, that's easy. It was a guy named Matthew. He's also called Levi throughout the New Testament as well, but he was one of Jesus's disciples. He was a tax collector that was chosen by Jesus to follow him as one of the 12. And as he did follow him, he saw Jesus as truly who Jesus was, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior, but also he saw him as the king of the Jews, the Messiah that they were looking forward to, that the Jews at that time missed. And so the reason that Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew was to show the Jews, hey, Jesus is who we were looking for. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king of kings. He's the king of the Jews. And we missed him, but hey, you can still know him. And so he wrote out the gospel of Matthew so as to show them that. And we have it today as the church as an important book for us as well. Not only because it's in the Bible, that makes it simply enough an important book for us, but also the fact that we see Jesus as we are to see Jesus, as the King, as the King, not only of the Jews, but as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and as our Savior. We see in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus enthroned in our hearts and lives as we see the Bible really confirmed. Much of the Old Testament is confirmed in the prophecies that Jesus fulfills as he walked on this earth. And if you would like a simple theme just compressed into one phrase, it's quite simply Jesus Christ, the King. That is the theme of Matthew. Whether he's the King of the Jews, the King of Kings, and the King of your heart, Jesus is the King. And that's what we see throughout all of the Gospel of Matthew. And tonight, as we open up here on the Sermon of the Mount, we're going to be see, see Jesus, be seeing Jesus teach there to the multitudes to the group there to all that would come to him to hear really an important message as he has come on the scene to explain and to proclaim the coming kingdom of heaven. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into the text. And then after we've read it and prayed, we will seek to build more upon it so that we know what we're dealing with, and then we'll dive further into it. So pick up there in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse one where it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to stop right there. If you'll pray with me, let's do that before we go forward. Lord, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have had, Lord, to just come into your presence. Lord, to meet with you in worship, to meet with you now in your word, to know that, God, as we do this, you're into this. You are about this. And Father, as such, we just desire that you would speak to us and that you would lead us in this time, and that, God, you would help us in this time. As we see, Lord, your, your teaching here right before us, Lord, I pray that we would realize the authority that comes with that, and also, Lord, the call that you give to us to apply this to our lives. 
And Lord, I just pray that you would help me. Lord, I selfishly ask that, that you would help me to teach this and to, uh, Lord, preach this according to your will and your word, and that, God, we together would learn what it is that you would have for us so that we can walk it out. And I pray these things, Lord, expectantly, because you are God and a God who calls us to yourself and wants to meet us and help us. And so do that now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, up to this point in Matthew, Jesus, you know, has begun his public ministry. And he began at first with baptism there at the Jordan River. He was then sent into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then moving now to the region of Galilee, specifically there in Capernaum, we have Jesus striking out on ministry. And upon his starting, his moving to the region of Galilee and walking there, he's been preaching a very simple message, a very simple message that we saw last week in chapter 4, verse 17, where it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Very simple, very straightforward, very consistent with his forerunner, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we have outlined how that message that he is teaching there for the Jews of that day would have been one they were excited about. They were excited about the kingdom of heaven being at hand. However, they would have been caught off guard by the exhortation that came before the proclamation. They would have been caught off guard by the fact that Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've talked about in length how that word repent, what does it mean? It means to stop, to turn around, and to go the opposite way. We've talked about how it could mean to change one's mind and to act according to that change. And so Jesus, as he comes here to the Jewish people and he says, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're like, okay, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. We're looking forward to that, but what's this repent business that you're talking about, Jesus? Because As a good Jew or any Jew for that matter, you would say, because I'm a Jew, the kingdom being at hand, well, that's for me. And I'm to be excited about that because I'm a son or a daughter of Abraham. I'm one who belongs to the bloodline of the chosen people of God. I have the law and the prophets that point me to the fact that I'm special and the kingdom of heaven at hand, that's for me. What's this repent business, Jesus? And Jesus, today, as he moves into the Sermon on the Mount, as any good teacher does, as any good teacher should, the message that he has set out as his main message to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, today he's going to give the explanation. That's what a good teacher does, right? A good teacher, what they do is they say the main theme. Maybe it's within the title. Maybe it's within their introduction. And then from there, they lay out why they're saying what they're saying. They explain, and the Sermon on the Mount, understand, is the why, the explanation to the message of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' explanation here, the Sermon on the Mount, of the good news of the coming kingdom, and it's the why behind the call for repentance and the explanation of the need to change one's mind and heart's. You see, the Sermon on the Mount that covers the next three chapters of Matthew is given to us to show the mindset of the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom, that it is different from the kingdoms of the earth. You see, Jesus is going to be showing today specifically that there is a mindset, a change of mind that needs to happen within the minds of the Jews there that he's speaking to here that Matthew is writing to, but also to anyone who would seek to enter into the kingdom of heaven because it's different than the kingdoms of this earth. And it shows how the citizens, this sermon shows how the citizens of that kingdom are to live within this new system. This system that is a different way of living that honestly follows a different ethical system as well. It follows different ethics that we are to set our mind upon so as to walk appropriately as citizens of that kingdom. And understand tonight, something that is commonly said but is a a mistake when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount is the fact that the Sermon on the Mount, hear me, is, is not this formula for salvation. It's not. It's not this thing that you read and at the end of it, you're like, okay, I've got it. I'm good. I'm going to do thus and so. And so I'm going to walk and be saved. That's not what the Sermon on the Mount is about. See, to think that it is a system for salvation is honestly to invite frustration on your life, to invite condemnation on your heart and mind. Because what we read here as Jesus speaks about it and fulfills it for us perfectly well, we realize very quickly, I'm not that person. (laughs) I'm not that person who's able to do these things all the time. I'm not able to do them perfectly. 
And so to see the Sermon on the Mount as this formula for salvation is to invite frustration and condemnation into your hearts and minds. You see, rather what we're going to see as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount is the perfect example of Jesus there given to us as he speaks and calling us to realize our need for him, our need for a savior, our need for Jesus to save us and then to lead us in and on our life. If you're taking notes tonight, a very easy way to see what the Sermon on the Mount is about, it's about there us being directed to Christ and then us being directed in Christ. That's what the Sermon on the Mount does. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't save us as we there learn it and recite it or memorize it. No, the Sermon on the Mount, it directs us to Christ and then directs us in Christ as well. And we are going to see together in the Sermon on the Mount that we, frankly, aren't enough and that we need Jesus and how we find him and are saved. Well, that is what comes after that. That's what comes after this, after we realize that we are poor in spirit, after we realize that we have sin in our life that we need to mourn over. Well, then we realize that, hey, we need someone to save us. We need someone to come into our lives, save us, and lead us as we walk. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is for. It's there to direct us to Christ and then direct us in Christ. And to the audience of the day and to us today, what we have to remember is this is a mindset that is different than what we're born with. It's a mindset that's different than what we are programmed with in this world. The kingdom mindset that Jesus speaks about in the Sermon on the Mount, it's one that is different from the kingdoms of this world but yet we are called to align with it. And so that's what we're going to see as we move into the Sermon on the Mount. And I promise you, we're going to get to it in a moment. But we need to, as Bible students, do a good job tonight of not only setting up the sermon and what we're going to be looking at, but also getting an idea of what the setting would have been there at the Sermon on the Mount, at the location of the Sermon on the Mount. You see, we know from the from the previous chapter that Jesus, he is now in the region of Galilee, there specifically around the town of Capernaum. And there's going to be a picture there on the slides on the, on the screen for you of what this region would look like there around the Galilee. You have mountainous, really not really mountains of, of, of any real substantial size. They're more like foothills. If you're familiar with the Colorado Rockies, um, you know, the best place on earth, as I like to call it, um, then you know that you have the high mountains, but before that you have the, the foothills, the place where you go and you boulder and you climb and you just have a lot. I just I love. Anyways, I digress. You have these foothills, and that, whenever we see here, the Sermon on the Mount, it says that Jesus went to a mountain. Luke calls it in his gospel a level place, that really this is what it's speaking of. You can imagine being there around the Sea of Galilee with these foothills all around, and Jesus, as he looks at the multitudes, he sees them, well, he goes up onto one of these mountains there to speak and to teach. Now, We have the setting visual there of what he would maybe be sitting around. It's beautiful, a great place to sit. But let's talk also about the multitudes around him. Let's get this picture in our mind. When you think of multitudes, or when you think of, honestly, of Jesus being followed by multitudes, it says in chapter 4 that there were many from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan that came and followed him. And we get in our minds sometimes of Jesus' following of being the big 12, you know, you got the 12 apostles, and then maybe some people that kind of tagged along with them. And so in our minds, a lot of times, we think of the multitude of being more like kind of a horde or just kind of a little band that just kind of travels with him, right? Well, you need to get that out of your mind. Because in that surrounding area, what you have is a population that would rival that of many modern cities today. We're talking there just in the region of Galilee of hundreds of thousands, even into the millions of people. And then you have those that come up from Jerusalem, Judea, that come in from all around. You are talking about a multitude of not 100s, not 1,000s, not even 10,000s, but 100,000s of people that are following Jesus, that are following. You take a professional football stadium worth of people that's packed out, and you put that in the middle of the, uh, the region of the Galilee, they're following after one man. It's no wonder that whenever it says Jesus was pressed by the multitudes, that it meant what it said. He was pressed by the multitudes. There are hundreds of thousands of people that followed after this man as he was walking and doing the things that he was doing in that time. And so 
Jesus going up onto a mount to speak and to teach, well, that makes a lot of sense when you think about that many people. Now, at this time, chronologically, that following may not have been to that extent yet. However, we do know that he's called four guys specifically to himself, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He also has others that are following him because it says he goes up onto the mount and that those followers, his disciples come and they sit and he teaches And so the picture here that you have is there in the middle of the region of the Galilee. He's up on one of these foothills. There's a multitude that's flocking around him. There's a group that's come specifically up to hear him. And then he sits down. Now, Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. And there, as rabbis in that day would walk and they would would walk with their followers, they taught in two specific ways. They would teach as they walked, for one thing. You know, you think about Jesus as he walks with his disciples. He would point out things. You think of even this morning, if you're reading the one-year Bible, the fig tree that wasn't producing any fruit. We read about that this morning. And Jesus used that as a teaching moment as they were walking on the road. And that is one of the ways that the rabbis would teach in that day as you would be walking with them and they would be, you would be following them, they would point things out. Look how beautiful this flower is that God made. God's amazing. Things like that. You know, the kind of things that we are to do with our kids or are to do with our spouses or to do with just our friends. Talk about the Lord as we walk throughout the day. But when a rabbi wanted to say something important, they sat down. Whenever a teacher would sit down, you knew that something really good was about to come out. That's why I sit down on Wednesdays, right? Like that's, that's, no, quite honestly, I don't sit down on Wednesdays because of that. I sit down on Wednesdays because it's more comfortable. But that's, that's what you would expect a rabbi when he was about to say something very good, very profound, very significant. Well, he would sit down and actually his disciples would stand up. So you're like, please, please, please don't make us do that. So <laughs> could you imagine that? You're standing up for an hour and me teaching you. Ah. Anyways, Jesus sits down there, getting the scene in your head. He sits down, and then he begins to speak. And there's nothing in the Bible, understand, that's there by accident. We've talked about this before, and we'll we'll always talk about it. There's nothing in the Bible that's by accident. Last week, we talked about how Jesus, as he was walking about in his ministry, that he preached the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. That he preached and he taught. He healed as well. He did many mighty works, but he preached and he taught. And I want to make sure that we understand that as we see Jesus moving. Because again, what we do is we'll focus on his actions. We'll focus on things that he did. And he does amazing things. So he walks on water. He heals the sick. He does so many things that are amazing. But he always teaches. He always speaks. And his actions back up what he says. May we never forget the fact that it is so important for us to speak. It's so important for us when we have opportunity to speak the truth of the Lord that we open our mouths. That we don't just say, oh, well, I hope someone sees me acting like a Christian. No, we tell them, hey, we're a believer in Christ. And then we walk it out. Because as soon as we say that, you have a target on your back. So just be ready for that and make sure that you're walking it out. But let's never forget that Jesus, as he walked, man, he didn't just walk that walk. He talked it and then he walked it out. He walked it out, but he never negated to open his mouth. And that's what we see here. Jesus is on the mount. He has these people there next to him. He is sitting down, ready to teach. And then it says he begins to speak with his mouth. He opened and he taught them. And which this now gets us to the actual sermon points of the Sermon on the Mount. And again, this is going to encompass from chapter five all the way through chapter seven. And tonight we're going to be looking at just the first 12 verses. Well, yeah, the first 12 verses of chapter five, we're going to be going through what are called the Beatitudes. We're going to be looking here at this series of statements that are known as the Beatitudes that Jesus is going to relay to those that are there. And then we're going to continue to break up the Sermon on the Mount as we move forward. But we have to get through these and spend time on these tonight Because again, what this is, is a resetting of the mind for the kingdom. You see, as Jesus begins to speak, he has to lay some groundwork, if you will, for those that he's teaching. If he is teaching the gospel of the kingdom, if he is there proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven being at hand and calling people to repent because of that, well, he has to explain why. And the why behind that statement comes in this mindset shift that we see listed out in the Beatitudes. 
Now, you may be wondering, what is a beatitude? Why is it called that? Well, please understand, as some good pastors have said before, and God bless them for doing so, it's not an attitude that you need to be having so that you can walk the right way. That's just, that's just not, that's, that's not going all the way to what it needs to be. What Beatitudes is, is, is quite simply just a, a word that means a blessing. And we get that from the Latin word beatus, meaning simply blessed. And that's what we see as we read these Beatitudes, as we read what is before us, Jesus is proclaiming that, hey, you are blessed as you have this mindset for the kingdom. You are blessed as you walk. And it's this blessed state of having a kingdom mindset that Jesus wants to get across to the people to them there and to us here. That is, you are one who realizes what it meant to be poor in spirits or what, you, what, what it is you are to mourn over as you are walking in your life and seeking to walk in accordance with the kingdom. Well, then you would have the right mindset and you would realize that as you do, you are blessed. And Jesus wants to get that across. And he does so with a series of statements here of saying, blessed are you if because then. Blessed are you if this, because then this. And as we dive deeper into the truth of these, we'll see more and more of what that means. Because at face value, these beatitudes, they seem to direct you to an attitude of negativity, quite honestly. They seem to direct you to an attitude of just walking just kind of as a perpetual Eeyore in this world, right? Like you look at the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to be like, I just have to walk around with a frown all the time or to be blessed in the kingdom of heaven. I have to mourn. Like I, I don't like mourning. I don't enjoy that. So why, why is that a blessing on the face value? We look at this and it's like, what is this? And so we have to look and dive deeper into what Jesus is saying so that we see where the blessing is and also where the mindset of the kingdom comes into play. So we're going to do that just line by line because that's the way that we need to do it to understand it. So there in verse three, Jesus talks there of the first beatitude, the first blessing. He says, blessed are the poor in spirits for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To really understand here what Jesus is saying, we have to understand what it means to be poor and then understand how that relates to the kingdom of heaven. And the word poor here is not just to be representative of being short on cash or just being, you know, in, in a lower tax bracket than your buddy. But it's meant to give us this picture of complete bankruptcy. It's meant to give this picture of having absolutely nothing. It's meant to give this picture of being so, so poor, being poor in spirit, should give us this idea of being spiritually bankrupt and before I continue on, please understand that spiritually bankrupt is not the same as seeing yourself as worthless. Jesus never says this or paints this to be something where, again, you have to say, okay, I'm just going to be this perpetual Eeyore, or I'm poor in spirit, so I am less, I am not valuable, because that is a lie straight from the pit of hell that you are not valuable. Jesus loves you and loves me and loves us, and there is much value in us as humans to the Lord. But we are blessed as we seek to walk with the kingdom mindsets, as we realize that we are poor in spirits, as we realize here that we are spiritually bankrupt, meaning there that the individual has nothing to offer, that we have no assets, if you will, to offer in exchange for anything of use or value when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. That in and of ourselves, we are poor in spirit. We are poor, spiritually bankrupt. And so we have nothing to offer when it comes to us entering into and walking in the kingdom in and of ourselves. And he starts here, Jesus starts here by saying that we are blessed when we are poor in spirit, when we realize we are poor in spirits, because that's where it starts with our relationship with the Lord. It starts with our relationship, our, our relationship with the Lord starts there with us realizing that in and of ourselves we have nothing. In and of ourselves, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are lost. We are separated. We have nothing to bring to the table to make us able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We have nothing in and of ourselves. We are poor in spirits. An entrance into the kingdom of heaven or even a desire to enter the kingdom, it has to start there. It has to start with us realizing that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we are separated from the Lord by our sin. And that we are in need, again, as the Sermon on the Mount directs us to Christ, we are in need of a Savior. 
We're in need of someone to pay the bill. We're in need of someone to make up the difference because we don't have it in and of ourselves. And Jesus starts there. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As you realize you are poor in spirit, you have nothing to bring. The kingdom of heaven is there ready for you because you realize where you're at. And it's off of this then that Jesus leads right from there and moves to the next one in verse four. Pick it with me there. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, if you haven't noticed yet, these are going to be linked. And I just want to go ahead and let you know that. So as you know that these are all linked and build upon one another. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And this is tied to being poor in spirit. And it's this attitude of mourning over that spiritual bankruptcy that we possess. It's this attitude of mourning over the fact that we are spiritually bankrupt and more specifically of mourning over what makes us spiritually bankrupt. And that is our sin, our sin that we all possess, our sin that we all possess that separates us from the Lord, that causes this rift that makes us, the Bible says, enemies of God. That is something worth mourning over. That is something that Jesus says that we must mourn over because as we mourn over our sin, well, that gives the opportunity for the Lord to comfort us. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Building upon these two, as you are there poor in spirit and realizing that and you realize you are because of your sin, well, then you can mourn over that sin, realizing ah, that, that, that separates me, but the Lord can slip in and say, yeah, but I've got it. Yeah, but I've taken care of that. It's this amazing thing that we see there, Jesus riding the mindset of the audience, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and they are comforted in their mourning. And again, these link, and so this is going to lead then directly into the next one. That Jesus there says, he says, what blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be spiritually poor and yet to have the kingdom promise to mourn over one's sin and lostness and yet to be comforted by Jesus, well, understand that true realization of those two former things, well, that should lead a person to a meek state of mind. That would naturally, Jesus is saying, lead you to have this meek state of mind. And we have to understand what that word meek actually means to get Jesus's point here. You know, as we look at the word meek, sometimes what we do is we, we play the rhyming game and we immediately think meek means weak, right? Like that's just, that's just what happens. We think of meek and we're like, okay, it's just weakness. That's all that meek is. And to think that is wrong. To think that is missing the point and the powerful statement that meekness actually is. You see, meekness could be better described not as weakness, as one who's rolled over by someone, but as someone who is strong yet controlled. Meekness shows that idea of power under control, of having a cool and collected confidence about oneself who is able to walk in strength, but yet walk appropriately throughout their life. You know, a, a great illustration of that, and you know, this is going to come from a guy in, in uh, skinny leg jeans and flip-flops tonight, is that of a rodeo horse. You know, not a barrel racing horse, because barrel racers, they just kind of go out of the chute and they go around and they hope the horse stops some point before they hit something, right? Like, that's just how it goes. But think of a roping horse. Like a roping horse, I, if you ever, if, if you, who here, a better question to ask here is who has not been to a rodeo? Okay, way less than have been. Perfect. So like a roping horse, you think they're in the chute and what happens is the cowboy's sitting on that thing and that horse is, is ready to go, but he's waiting, and then the steer runs out, right? And then as the steer runs out, they open the chute for the horse and the rider. And he says, go, and they go. And that thing is blistering, like just flying out of that gate until the cowboy ropes him and does what he does. And then the horse stops. And a good roping horse will stop on a dime. And it's amazing to watch. It's really cool. And that's such a good display of what meekness is of this cool, calm, collected, but able to act and able to confidently walk out. And what Jesus is saying here is they're blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. It's not the all the time abrasive and violent and argumentative and pride filled. It's the meek who realize 
that the sin that they're able to mourn over that makes them poor in spirit is taken care of by the Lord. And that entrance into the kingdom of heaven, having that mindset is what is needed. And as those three things walk in line, then meekness follows and you walk appropriately. And that's what Jesus here is saying. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the ones who realize what has been paid towards them in the Lord. Blessed are the ones who walk appropriately and who walk now because they shall, he says, inherit the earth. They're the ones who will walk rightly. They're the ones who will walk in the way that Jesus calls them and us to walk. He says, blessed are the meek. And then he follows that up, moving right along to say, blessed are those then who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Now we have to again understand here what Jesus is talking about when he says hunger and thirst. When he's speaking there about those who are hungering and thirsting, it would mean, especially in that context, a lot more than it would mean to us here in our Western civilization and Western context, because many of us, and I want to be careful because I don't know everyone's story, many of us have never been actually hungry. Like, like we're hungry, but we're very easily able to go and grab just anything and everything at, at, at you know, an arm's reach most of the time to satisfy that hunger. What Jesus is talking about here is blessed basically are those that are starving. Blessed are those that are dehydrated and needing nutrients. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, for they shall be filled as they hunger and as they seek it out. He says here, what, what is going on is blessed are those who have this hunger, this desire, this ravenous desire, even you could say, for spiritual nutrients, for righteousness, for the right stuff. And Jesus walking down this line, as we walk with it and see them all connecting, what we see is blessed are the poor in spirit who are spiritually bankrupt, have nothing to offer, and they mourn over their sin. And that, as they realize is taken care of, they are walking in this meekness. And they, as they hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said, blessed are you because you'll be filled. If you realize your bankruptcy, if you realize what is causing you and needing to cause you to mourn, and you realize where you're able to walk and you hunger and thirst for that, you will be filled, Jesus says. And that is the mindset, he says, it takes to walk appropriately in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, blessed are those who do so. Blessed are those who walk in this way. Blessed are those who write their mindsets to that of the kingdom. And he starts to now make a shift, if you will, because really in the middle of these, you see from the beginning where it starts for us entering into the kingdom, where we're poor in spirits, to now we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness because we know what fills us. Now it turns not just from blessed are those who hunger and thirst, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but now blessed are those who are acting out according to it. Blessed are those, he says, who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. See, he's following the line of logic here and who Jesus is describing. These who are merciful are the ones who have felt legitimately that mercy that's been extended to them. As the poor in spirit who realize they have nothing to bring to the table, they are mourning over their sin and are filled there and able to walk now in a new way, in a meek way, realizing that they are humbly there before the Lord and saved only by him. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, they, having felt that great mercy, can now be merciful and in turn receive mercy. And it's this cycle that Jesus talks about. It's this cycle of the kingdom of heaven, whereas you receive that mercy and extend that mercy, you continue to understand it. And Jesus says, that's the way you have to walk. And as you do so, blessed are you as you walk in that way. He says, blessed there are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And moving from there, he says, blessed next are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Notice that Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure in action. He didn't say, blessed are those who are pure in outward appearance. 
He didn't say blessed are those who seem to have it all together. No, he says they're blessed are the pure in heart. And you have to remember here the audience that he's speaking to. We must never remove ourselves, though we do and can with application. We must never remove ourselves from the context of the Bible. That here, as Matthew is writing, he's writing about Jesus talking to primarily Jews who again were shocked at the fact that Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because the Jews, well, they, they, they had it all together, man. They looked the part. They, in every single way of their mindset, said, hey, we are in, we are good, we are walking forward. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in hearts. Not blessed are the ones who look the part, not blessed are the ones who are walking out some religious way, but blessed are the pure in heart. Those who have been changed inwardly, blessed are they, he says, for they shall see God. And this would have been a radical statement for him to make there, changing the mindset of his audience. They're showing them that the kingdom of heaven was unlike anything that they were actually expecting. They were expecting the kingdom coming with the Messiah to be this political, powerful military power to overthrow Rome. They're expecting it to line up with how they thought it was going to be. But what he does is he comes on the scene and says, no, 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 it's not outward, it's inward. It's not this outward show. It's this inward work. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And leading out of that, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Going in line with those who are meek and what will be fleshed out throughout the rest of the sermon, living out differently, living out peacefully. And especially again, as we just said, to the mindset of those who were looking for a militant Messiah, he says, no, it's not those that cause division. It's not those that cause uproars and seek to take by force. Blessed are the peacemakers, he says. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. They're gonna be identified appropriately as belonging to the Lord as they walk out in peace as they walk out peaceably and they live that out the way that God calls them to do. And then lastly, he says, those who are persecuted, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you notice, tracing back to verse three, where he started these beatitudes and with verse 10, the end is the same for this one as it was for the first one. Verse three and verse 10 both say, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's really a full circle that we see here. Because what Jesus is doing is he's calling them to realize that there's a different mindset they're gonna be walking out and living in this world. And it starts with realizing you're poor in spirit. You are spiritually bankrupt, unable to bring anything to the table spiritually. You are separated. And for that, you mourn. If you realize that you have much to be comforted by, you walk in meekness. You walk hungry and thirsting for righteousness. And then you walk being merciful as you have received mercy. You walk forward then with a pure heart, being changed inwards, and you walk making peace, not being one who caused rifts. And as you do so, he says, blessed are you who, sh who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he says here. See, it's a full circle. A difference in living, living with a kingdom mindset is going to be, he says, in showing opposites of the kingdom of this world. And for that, there will be opposition. For that, there will be differences of opinion, difference of philosophy and walking. And along with that comes persecution. And he wants them to be ready for that and let them know that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus does something really cool there in verse 12, or verse 11, excuse me. Pick it with me there as we see this shift that he makes. And let's see if you can catch it. He says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus there in verse 11 and 12, he changes his grammar up. Did you notice that? Where he goes from saying, blessed are those, blessed are thee, to blessed are you. 
He says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. He changes up the language and he makes it personal for them. In the first few verses there, as he's talking about this kingdom mindset, he's talking in a way that's to everyone. Like this is who is blessed in the kingdom. These are the ones who are walking according to a kingdom mindset. And here's what it looks like. Here's how they're blessed. And here's what you can expect the world to respond to them in. And then he turns it on them and he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And what he does there is he makes it personal. He makes it personal to them and says, look, I'm here to preach the good news of the kingdom. I'm here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. And then he explains the why. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, here's what it looks like to repent. All of these beatitudes, all of these blessings right here that are there available as you walk with this kingdom mindset, guess what? There's persecution that comes with it. And blessed are you, he says to them that are listening when that happens. Blessed are you when that comes that way. And what he's doing is he's inviting them. He's inviting them to walk with that mindset. He's inviting them to listen honestly to the rest of the sermon. Because to get to the rest of the sermon where he's gonna flesh out what actually walking out this way looks like, you have to understand the first part. You have to understand what comes first. And so really he's inviting them to say, okay, are you a part of this? Because if you are, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you walk this road. Blessed are you. And not only blessed are you, but you can rejoice. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. And then he lets them know that they're not the first ones to endure that persecution. I love that. He like, he's like, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. There's persecution, you're blessed, but you can rejoice. And guess what? You're not the worst off because the prophets who went before you, well, oh, they endured it too. Jesus here shifts the grammar and in so doing, he invites the multitude into hearing what he has to say after this. And what he has to say after this is what walking with that kingdom mindset looks like. And for the Jewish people that were sitting there listening, for the Jew that would be reading this, this gospel that Matthew penned, again, it was written to a Jewish audience so as to write them to see Jesus, who they missed as the Messiah, was the Messiah they were looking for. They who would be reading this, they would look at it and they would have right in front of them a confrontation between how they were walking and raised to walk in the traditions of the day and how Jesus actually calls them and us to walk. You see, of the day, especially within the, the lifestyle of the Jew, the lifestyle of what they would see for those who had it all together, well, you weren't poor in spirits because you were a Jew. You were a chosen person of God. And so you didn't need to repent because you had it made. Your bloodline, it got you into the kingdom. You weren't poor in spirit. You were first in line. You had no reason to mourn. You had no reason to mourn because you were God's chosen person. You were God's part of God's chosen people. He was there for you and you were going in. You had no need to repent, no need to, no need to mourn. You were good. There was no meekness seen, especially when it came to the religious leaders of the day. They would walk in a way that expressed who they were in a prideful way. They would walk and they would not hunger and thirst for righteousness. They had it all together. They were fine. They did everything that they needed to do and they let you know that they did it. They weren't hungering and thirsting for anything. They had it all together. They weren't merciful. They weren't peacemakers. They weren't there, those who were pure in hearts. They looked good on the outside, but they weren't inwardly whole, nor were they ready to receive that or wanting to receive what it took to and we're going to see that throughout the rest of Matthew as Jesus comes in, into contact with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. We're going to see Jesus speak truth to them, call them out on the reality that, hey, on the outside, you look great, but on the inside, you're dead. And to the mass of that day, that was the truth. And Jesus confronts that here. He confronts that to where those there on that mount would have to listen and say, okay, Am I poor in spirit? Well, yes, I am. Am I living that way? Do I realize that? And then do I walk it out? 
Am I mourning over my sin? Do I acknowledge my sin at all? Am I walking in meekness or I'm, is it all about me? Am I the one who's out and in front and prideful or am I walking appropriately? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I seek to be filled or do I think I have it all together? Am I extending mercy? Am I a peacemaker? Am I pure in heart? Am I, am, am I walking this way? They had to be confronted with that. And Jesus says, look, as you change your mind, as you change to the mindset of the kingdom of heaven, guess what? It's gonna be different than the rest around you. And there will be opposition that comes your way, persecution that comes your way. Blessed are you when you do that. And it was true there for Jesus's day. It was true for those there on the mount and it's true for us. It's true for us in this world and also even in the church in some cases where we need to realize that we are poor in spirit that we are those who are spiritually bankrupt in and of ourselves. We have nothing. We bring nothing to the table when it comes to our righteousness. We bring nothing to the table when it comes to us entering into the kingdom of heaven. It's all Jesus. And there's a whole lot of glorifying sin, not enough mourning over it in so many places and spaces today, including the church. And we need to realize that our sin, it's sin. And what it does is it produces death and it produces separation. And it causes pain and brokenness. And we don't mourn over it nearly as much as we should. Not only our own, but just the sin of the world. And realize that sin is terrible and it is deadly. It's the same with meekness. We walk in this world and the world says, you be out front. It's all about you. It's all about who you are and what you want to be. You be as loud and as proud as you possibly can be. And it's not just the world, it's the church as well. In so many places and spaces, the church and the world has it to where you are the center and you walk and you talk as loud as you possibly can so as to get your point out, your message out. And don't worry about people who get in your way. But the Lord says, no, 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 no. You walk in meekness. You walk controlled. The world is so ready to fill us with anything and everything. And the church has done a good job of being filled with anything and anything. But does the church today, do you, do we as the church today hunger and thirst for righteousness? And then do we seek to be filled by the things that will actually fill us? God's word and prayer and time spent with him. You're here on a Wednesday night, so I'm preaching really to the choir because you're here. But tomorrow and the next day, the days between Sundays, are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness and seeking to be filled by that which fills us? Are we walking extending mercy, realizing that mercy has been extended to us? Are we walking as peacemakers, seeking to walk and see the peace of the Lord in our lives and shown out to the world around us? Or are we abrasive? Are we divisive? Are we antagonistic and argumentative? Because that is not the kingdom mindset. Are we there walking with a pure heart, knowing that as we do, we will see the Lord? Is your heart pure? Or is just the outside look good? And all of these things we need to understand, God challenges us with tonight and challenges us with as followers of Christ because this right here is the mindset that we have as, his, as believers in him. This is the mindset that we have that is contrary to the world. And for that, we here tonight will face opposition. We face opposition from our flesh that says, let's not do that because that's hard, that hurts, that doesn't look good, that doesn't feel good. Let's not do that. Let's act like we have it all together. Let's walk the right way. Our flesh says that. And then Satan says, yeah, that's right. Do that instead. And then the world says, yeah, do that instead. But do we here tonight as the church, do we realize that, hey, as we walk this way, we'll be opposed, persecuted even. And do we realize that and let it stop us? Or do we let the Lord continue to goad us on forward? Realizing what he says there again in verse 12, that we can rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. And we're not alone. We're not alone. We're not special in this because as many people have chosen this road before, the same thing has happened. The question for those who were there at the Sermon on the Mount, and the question for us as we start to study it is, are we willing and ready to walk with that kingdom mindset? 
to see really what Jesus says it takes to walk in that and then to go forward with it, realizing that as we follow Jesus, it may be hard. There will be times when we don't enjoy it, but we can, Jesus says, rejoice greatly because of our reward that's in heaven. And as we move through the text, we're going to see that that's the call of the believer to walk out next week, to be salt and light, to walk out in, di- in a different way than this world does, walking out in ways that your coworkers don't walk, walking out in ways that your family doesn't walk, walking out in ways that the world around us doesn't walk and realize that as we do so, we're going to look different. And Jesus says, that's the point. Jesus says, that's the point of it all, that you would look different and show there. Jesus in the way, the kingdom mindset to the world around you. The question that they had to ask, the question that we have to ask is, are we willing to do that? And if you are, then have you started? If you have started, then amazing, how's it going? And how can we together encourage one another to keep going? If you haven't started, if you aren't walking with that mindset of saying, yeah, I, and it starts with you realizing you're poor in spirit and your sin separates you and makes you that way. If you haven't started and realize that you're not walking that way, realizing that and not a part of the kingdom to be able to walk that way, then I would implore you tonight, talk to someone about that. You know, after service tonight, what I like to do on these Wednesdays is not in with worship, but in with us fellowshipping and praying and encouraging one another. Tonight, you find yourself not even in the walk or in the mindset of the kingdom. Then, hey, talk to someone about that. I'd love to talk to you about that all day because that is the best thing in the world. This right here, this walking this out is the best thing in the world. Jesus came to offer this to us. The question is, do you want it? And are you willing to walk it out realizing what it means? That's a question that we all have. And it's a question that we all have daily. Do we want to walk this out? Are we walking with it? And if you are, then praise the Lord and know that God's with you as you do. God's with us as we seek to have this mindset. But you have to choose it. And so I pray that we would, and I pray that we would encourage one another tonight and every time that we can be together to pray and to encourage one another that.